Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. A friend of mine just called me. He'd just been offered eight legs of venison for $200. And he asked me, is that too dear? I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from musician Damon Gow, a.k.a. Badly Drawn Boy. His new album is called Photographing Snowflakes. And coming up, Sofia Coppola, the not-so-amazing Spider-Man, Killer Smog, and Bishop Allen. But first, time for Small Talk. So all week long, you've been hearing this. The Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal will become law this week. California's under the grip of some record storms. The UConn women's basketball team going for a record 89th consecutive victory. Now for something you haven't heard, we turn to Jessica Cohen. She's editor-in-chief of Jezebel, a women's culture blog. Jessica, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm really focused on the new Spider-Man musical on Broadway. This is the Julie Taymor U2 opus? Yes. Really? Have you seen the musical? No, I don't think there's something really to see unless you're a total masochist. It is the (laughs) most expensive musical ever on Broadway, and it is now the most dangerous musical on Broadway. What's going on? It's been in previews for about a month now. There have been four serious injuries, including this week, one of the aerialists did his little jump and the rope snapped, and he went down a pit. And you can hear the Mary Jane woman scream. <laughs> the woman playing Mary Jane is like, oh, my God. Yes. Viral video gold. But you know what? How do we know this wasn't a savvy decision? Because, you know, sure, we're this is it. more exciting and more dramatic than probably what Bono and Julie Tamer dreamed up. Oh, without question. You 2 hasn't done anything great in years. <laughs> but <laughs> I think they could just charge for Edge to take off his hat. That should be a play on Broadway. <laughs> That's the intermission. He takes off that. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope he's careful while he's taking that off. Yes. There have been way too many injuries already. Uh, Jessica Cohen, thanks for the small talk. Thank you. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is the Pacific Northwest, but instead of being inundated with rain, it's inundated with booze. Micro-booze in that case. Yes, showers of handcrafted booze. Anyway, first the history. Around this time back in 1952, a thick fog descended on London. Now the guests at your dinner party won't think that sounds like a big deal. Our friend Michelle Phillippe is here to tell you why it was. The British invented crumpets, the Beatles, and smog. The word was coined in 1905 to describe the coal smoke and fog shrouding UK cities. And on December 5, 1952, the Brits also gave us the worst single example of smog ever. A cold fog blew into London that day and got trapped over the city. The smoggy air sat there for days, and millions of Londoners made it worse because the weather was so cold, they all fired up their coal-burning heaters. The stew of soot and fog got so thick, people couldn't see their own feet. Soon, the pollution stretched hundreds of miles, They called it the Big Smoke. Planes were grounded, trains stopped running, and so did ambulances. Kind of an issue for folks who already had breathing ailments. At least 4,000 of them eventually died. Maybe more like 12,000. But in nearly every case, there's an old person in bed who died gasping for breath because there's nothing like the smog before or since. Afterwards, England passed a bunch of clean air laws, but they took a while to work. The last big smoke in 1961 took 700 lives. 
So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve with it. And I could use one after that. On the line with me is Martin Ball from the Match Bar in the Clerkenwell area of London. And firstly, Martin, how's the air quality over there today? It's not bad. It's a bit drizzly, but it's not bad. Well, thank God for that. So what cocktail does this episode in British history inspire you to make? We use uh, about two and a half ounces of uh, beef eater gin, the only gin that's still made and produced in London. Really? Beef eater? Yeah. Next, we've got um, what we call here the standard dash of pash. So a dash of passion fruit, which is, you know, it's a standard in some of our drinks around here. Just adds a different bit of sweetness to the drink. All right. Three quarters of an ounce lemon, three quarters of an ounce sugar. Then um, just half an egg white. Gives it that cloudy effect, you know, to relate to the great smog. All right. So it's going to be like a cloudy looking drink. Quite clever of you. And just on the top of that, just float about a bar spoonful of Lagavulin or a really smoky Islay whiskey. All right. Give it that flavor, that back taste of smoke. You have run with this theme, my friend. <laughs> All right. And, that, and what do you name this drink? Uh, we call it the 52 Fizz. Well, that's a lot nicer than calling it like the London smog or something. Yeah. And a lot nicer to inhale. Well, if it doesn't kill you, it will cure you. Definitely. So, Rico, if that bartender's right, we as Angelinos are cured. <laughs> That's right. We're going to live forever. Yeah, or at least as long as Larry King. Whichever comes first. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find all our drink recipes on our website. It's dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is writer-director Sofia Coppola. She has a new film out called Somewhere. It's about Johnny Marco, a successful, fast-living movie star suffering from ennui, who is forced to spend time with his 11-year-old daughter, one of the stars of the film is the Chateau Marmont, the storied French, faux French hotel in Hollywood, which seemingly every celebrity has lived in or died in at some point. So what are we doing in the Four Seasons right now? Because that's where they do press junkets. <laughs> and we have this in our movies. I was going to ask, is this the same place that Johnny Marco does his press conference in the film? Yeah, no, it's surreal to be back in the Four Seasons after we shot a press junket here. You know, in that scene, he is promoting a big action film. And your movie couldn't be further from that. It's kind of like a tone poem. I'm wondering what attracts you about quieter, less traditional films. I like things that you just kind of get in another world, an atmosphere for two hours. You know, in Lost in Translation, I wanted to feel like you were you got to visit Tokyo for a moment. And in this, I wanted just to do a portrait of this guy at this moment in his life and just kind of live his life with him. As a writer, is it hard to resist deploying some obvious plot device or, you know, giving one of the actors a gun or something? Um, no, it's kind of fun. It's kind of a challenge to think, how can I do this in the most unmovie-like way? I remember I was talking to a friend about it, and she said, what if the, the daughter has an illness and he has to give her the medicine? And, and I was like, no, that's what they would do in a movie. You know? So I tried to make it as much as I could like, like how it would be in life. But specifically a privileged life. Uh, in Lost in Translation, we follow an aging movie star. In Marie Antoinette, we have a queen caught up in her coterie. I feel like your movies are like WikiLeaks from the rich and famous, revealing that the, that the life they lead isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Is that your message? I mean, I wasn't thinking intentionally of a message, but definitely growing up, seeing that world a little bit, I, I think I'm interested in kind of the other side of it and kind of contrasting the, the superficial world around him and then the things that are more genuine and, and how he's out of balance. So the movie's called Somewhere, and the the ending of the film leaves a lot to talk about over a drink after seeing it. Why did you name it Somewhere? Can you give us some clues or give me some ammunition when I'm having that conversation? Oh, yeah, I'm glad that you'll talk about it afterwards because I like leaving it on a note that you have enough information to not be frustrated, but that, you know, to enjoy it. Well, you succeeded. Oh, good. The title, that was just a temporary working title. I just feel like when you just throw something on it, it has some kind of subconscious connection. But um, 
the idea of summer was just the idea that he needs to go somewhere else that it doesn't matter even where just to make a change in his life. Well, we have two standard questions on our show. The first one is, what question are you tired of being asked? For this one, I'm tired of being asked, so what is it about you and hotels? I don't want to make a movie in a hotel again, just to avoid that. I avoided that question, you noticed. I appreciate that. But I wasn't asked for a recommendation what to do after I chat with you here in the Four Seasons, because you've probably been here before. Oh, they have really good mac and cheese. I will definitely look into that. So the second question in our show is, tell us something we don't know about you or the world at large. Yeah, I um, I forgot about this, but my dad owned the Chateau Marmont for maybe a day. He, in the late 70s, he bought the hotel, and then there was like a termite report that it had termites, and so my mom talked him out of buying the Chateau Marmont. Are you serious? Were you around then? I don't remember being around then, but he, you know, he told me that story of the years. Like, I owned the Chateau Marmont, but, you know, literally for a second before Andre Bellage took it over. So I could have been the heir to the Chateau Marmont. But you and the hotel could have been siblings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, I think my dad bought a hotel in Monopoly once. <laughs> exactly. If memory serves. I remember having an ice bucket from Motel 6 in Savannah, Georgia, <laughs> or something like that. Oh, the good old days. We were so close to greatness. It's true. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Thanks this week to Jackson Musker and Devahan Baladuni. And we leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner parties. It's a Christmas song from Indie Pop A students Bishop Allen. It's called You Will Never Find My Christmas. I bet I will. Um, I think they're referring to presents, and in my case, you definitely won't find mine. <laughs> <laughs> you can't find nothing. <laughs> that's the holiday spirit. Bon appétit. <laughs> Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and thanks for attending Dinner Party Download, the musical. Bravo! Thank you. Whoa, Rico! Rico!